0: Hello, welcome, welcome to The Wild Feather. This is Brooke, your host. And today we are talking to Kaylee, who is a business attorney and legal educator for entrepreneurs. I think this is going to be a real treat. It's very insightful for all of the founders and entrepreneurs out there, especially um, starting out, but even down the road. Um, she has started her own legal firm and has built a thriving affiliate program, uh, which is super cool. But today she shares with us some great insight and advice for founders about trademarks and copyrights, when to get them, how to get them, what the process is, and there can be surprises along the way. So she tells us all about those and what to do. So we talk international travel and living, internationally and kids and family needs and website policies. She has some amazing website policies. And for any of those folks that are coaches out there, um, she has great policies for those and uh, lots of things. Uh, So you don't want to miss this information. She's a pleasure to talk to. She's an absolute treat and uh, it won't be dull, I promise. It won't be um, boring and dull when it comes to legal stuff. Uh, So she gives some great info for all of you and hopefully it's helpful and you enjoy our conversation. to the show, Kaylee. I am super excited for you to be on here for two reasons. One is I'm interested and excited to hear about your journey. But the other one is I think that you have some valuable services that are going to be very applicable to a lot of founders out there, um, including myself. So and you have some unique um, formulas, kits, you have some unique things that I think not only on the services side, but you've put together some product kits that I think would be helpful too. So I'm super excited to have you on today. So thanks for joining us. Me too. Thank you so much, Brooke. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just get started. So give us a little backstory. First of all, audience, um, Kaylee is a an attorney um, and she offers a variety of legal services. So I'm not going to steal her thunder, but um, she had a few stops along the way before she started her own business. So I'm going to let you tell us how you became a business owner, an entrepreneur, a founder, and how you got on that road. Yeah. I don't think most people go into law school thinking, I'm going to be a founder someday, right?
1: <laughs> no, I don't think so. And I wasn't um, one of those lawyers who did, but I did go into law school thinking that I wanted to do something. Um, a little non-traditional, but the ideas that I had in my mind at that point were completely different from what I'm doing now. But I would say that my business began in pursuit of um, freedom for my family, to be available for my family, um, and then also adventure. So moving um, back to the beginning of my legal career story, um, through law school and um, early on in my career, I was always pursuing uh, maybe a different form of adventure than entrepreneurship. But um, during law school, while all of my classmates were applying for internships in in the local area in hopes that it would turn into a job, I was applying for internships overseas just so I could go live there for the summer and do something fun. (laughs) So that summer (laughs) I interned in Thailand at the U.S. PTO's IP adagé program. And so the IP adagé program is the Patent and Trademark Office, our federal Patent and Trademark Office's um, program where they send basically lawyer diplomats to different regions of the world to meet with government officials in those regions um, and business owners to advocate that those nations adopt IP intellectual property laws to protect US companies doing business in those regions. So IP covers trademarks, patents, copyright, so that when, we, when US companies come to that region, they have the same level of protection over the, their IP that they would at home. So that was my first internship. I went back to Thailand um, every summer of law school to work um, at an international IP firm after that. And so I had this taste of a law career being very different from kind of the prescribed past that I saw around me once I would get back home. And I did graduate and I um, worked for the the Department of Homeland Security in Manhattan. And that was a little bit more traditional, but it was um, still an exciting role to be in. And then I was at the AG's office. But the reason initially that I decided to start my own firm was I was pregnant with my daughter. And I just had this vision of motherhood in mind. That was a dream that existed before I ever decided to become a lawyer. I was very set on and especially when she was very young, I wanted to um, be with her most of the time. Um, All of my colleagues that I worked with that were, you know, working moms, of course, many moms do this, but they had no choice but to drop their kids off early in the morning pick them up late at night and now that i spend lots of time with time with my kids i completely understand why one would want to drop them off (laughs) it was just this little you know idea that i had in my mind (laughs) this utopic idea so that was um the fuel behind initially starting my law practice and I wanted to do things in a non-traditional way. I didn't plan on having you know, a brick-and-mortar law office on Main Street or having a billboard. I was looking at these businesses that I saw online of other service providers in um, other industries, not other lawyers, uh, but they may have been business coaches, um, people in operational roles, and just web designers, you know, a lot of different industries. And I saw them having these kind of freedom lifestyle businesses. And I thought, that's what I want. Initially, I thought I must have chosen the wrong career, because I'm not sure this is possible within the context of law. Um, But honestly, I just decided that I was going to figure out how to do it. And I was going to look at these models of other service providers, um, and kind of apply that to the practice of law. And Then my own IP practice, Brand Law Boutique, was born, and about a year and a half into that journey, I decided to launch Contractista, which is my contract template shop, um, a digital product shop, both to be able to serve people in a more efficient way. Um, Not everyone has the budget, especially when they're starting out, um, to hire an attorney to draft, custom draft every agreement they need in their business, and it was another way for me to maximize my time to scale my time to still have that freedom lifestyle business if you will um and scale in a way that wasn't related directly to my time
0: Mm -hmm. which is brilliant and then you made it an affiliate opportunity as well so that's really cool right yes
1: yeah so affiliate opportunity and we've also um built in a lot of contracts to programs of um, different business coaches who might be teaching someone how to launch their own business in a particular niche, like a web designer or a photographer, um, and basically doing a wholesale license, a commercial license, so they can offer all of their students an attorney-drafted agreement, client agreement that is niche for their area um, and provide Mm -hmm. that to their students. So that's another way that we've scaled that model.
0: Right. And it also includes, I think a lot of these coaches forget about the legal terms and, uh, until they have to deal with like their policies or procedures or whatnot. But, uh, I think you make it really simplistic and you also include like, um, terms and conditions or like website legal information. Um, which is, I think it's like an easy no brainer. Like, Right. It's done by an attorney. You're good. It's You're good to go. You just download it, plug your information in, and you're good. Like It's awesome, yeah, I so think. Some of
1: our agreements are client service agreements, but a lot are those terms and conditions like you mentioned, which might be the terms of use for your website or a privacy policy that's um, GDPR compliant. That's uh, data privacy laws that come out of the EU and basically end up applying to all humans with a website because <laughs> it's so broad and outright and, and then other terms and conditions like uh, for those who have a membership site, um, membership terms and conditions, and online course and online course terms and conditions. So not just terms of purchase, but also when someone joins your course, is that is their ability to access the course and the materials for them only as an individual? Or could it apply to their whole team? Or would you require if there are multiple team members in a business for each individual to have their own license? So things like that, where, you know, maybe that's not your forte, or you're not you haven't even thought about these things, just really easy to come get those terms and conditions, copy and paste,
0: and you're done. Yeah. Yeah. And for virtual assistants, for individual contractors, I mean, a lot of people are doing contract work these days. Like, You basically have covered all of it, right? All the agreements, which I think is really great. So now from an attorney standpoint, though, so you've created all of these programs for people to... We'll just say down, for lack of better terms, download and use or access whatever and copy and paste, whatnot. But then you also um, do a lot of trademark stuff, which I would assume uh, <laughs> this probably is a wrong assumption, but mm-hmm. um, that a lot of companies, well-established companies, have already done that. But I. I've seen everything, I guess, under the sun, so nothing surprises me. But at what point do you think startups should get trademarked?
1: Ideally, ideally, um, it would be even before you launch or right upon. (laughs) (laughs) So it really has nothing to do with how long you've been in business, um, because common law rights for trademarks are granted as soon as you start using a name in commerce. So let's back up a little bit. A trademark is a brand name. It could be a logo or a tagline. It could also be a program name or a product name. And technically your common law rights are conferred by um, the first to use that name in commerce in connection with related services. However, the first to file that trademark application for that name Um, makes a world of difference, because whereas if you are proactive in filing your trademark, it's going to cost you um, just, you know, a couple thousand dollars to go through the whole process. If you're not proactive in it, and you wait, and someone else beats you to it, they may have no malice, they might not be trying to steal your business name, they may not have heard about you or know anything about your business. It doesn't matter whether they intended to use the same name or they you know, or confusingly similar name, even. It's all about is a consumer likely to be confused between these two names? And if someone beats you to filing, then it's a very long process. It takes about a year from the time you file your application until it's registered. And one of the last phases in that process is a 30 day opposition period where you have an ability to um, petition to oppose the registration of their mark by saying, Hey, I was using this first. However, Two points about that. You're not likely to know when that 30 day period happens if you yourself have right. been filed an application. Um, you're only likely to know that if you're paying for trademark monitoring services, um, usually through a law firm. And the other thing is, even if you catch them in that 30 day period, to file a petition to oppose a registration, you're looking at tens of thousands of dollars now, and it can be two to five years to get through this process. So a lot of small businesses, they are not in a position to go through that battle. So, if they discover that someone has filed an application for their mark, um, or a con- again, a confusingly similar one, it doesn't need to be identical, a lot of small businesses will be in a forced rebrand situation. So, even though they were using it first and they should have superior rights. Technically, under the law, they do have superior rights. It's going to be so expensive and time-consuming to enforce those rights and get everything straightened out, essentially, um, that it's more cost-effective to just rebrand. So... If you file for a trademark application as soon as you launch your business, that's ideal. You also have the option of filing an intent to use application. And so that means that you haven't started using it yet, but you have a bona fide intent. And the advantage of that is for the purpose of determining when you went to market, let's say they will use the filing date on your application. And it basically becomes a legal fiction. The law pretends that you went to market on the day you filed your application. So let's say you're still six months to a year out from launching. And especially if, you, if you're if you launching a, you know, a, a significant enterprise or one that you plan on being significant, then it mm-hmm. definitely behooves you to go through that process of an intent to use application. Because let's say you file your application July first, but you're not going to launch until next July. And you file your application, and then someone in October, they actually start using the name in commerce. So technically, they used it before you did. But for purposes of determining who has superior rights, your filing date is going to be compared to the date that they launched. And so you will have superior rights. So it's definitely an important thing to consider. I think a lot of people, because I get this question a lot, they say, at one, at what point should I think about trademarking? And it's not the size of your business. It's not the size of your enterprise. It's more how you know how devastated would you be about having to go through a forced rebrand? And right. I, right,
0: I would have just especially assumed... if you're established, like people would know your name, know your company. That's a it's a, a big undertaking. Sometimes, right to
1: have to rebuild the brand awareness um, is not mm. something a lot. It's something that a lot of people are. Forced to go through, but it's definitely not something that you want to go through. I would say, even before you're entertaining this idea, um, Mm -hmm. when you are in the beginning stages of planning out your business, you want to make sure that the name that you're moving forward with is one that's available. Because here, the situation we've been talking about for the last few minutes, I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that you were actually using the name first, that you technically have superior rights. It's just a matter of someone beat you to filing and that unfortunate Mm -hmm. situation. However, a lot of people are in the situation where they come up with a name, um, they might do a quick search to see if it's available. um, And then they're, again, investing in the time and money to market to build brand awareness. And they find out later on, that someone else has been using the name since before they were using it. Or, and here's the kicker, it doesn't need to be identical. It could just be that the name was confusingly similar. So um, an example that I like to give of how um, different a name can be and still be considered confusingly similar. Let's say I love coffee and I create a really successful um, coffee shop franchise. And now I want to teach other people how to how they can start their own successful coffee shop. So I call myself uh, billionaire barista. And I do a search I even use the free government database, which spoiler alert is a terrible tool. It's a terrible search engine. It will only pull up (laughs) identical results or completely off the wall unrelated ones. But it has, it's very talented in completely skipping out on the gray area that you really need to know about, about the confusingly similar ones. So I use that, there are no billionaire baristas and I think I'm good to go. So I launched the business, you know, I'm uh, marketing on social media, putting money towards ads. Um, and let's say I'm two or three years into this. And then I receive a cease and desist letter in the mail because billion dollar coffee maker who does something similar, maybe it's not even identical, maybe they do they're a marketing agency and they do marketing for coffee shops. So the name is not identical. We have billionaire barista and billion dollar coffee maker, but they're synonyms of each other. And the services are not the same. I'm a business coach and this other business is providing done for you marketing services. But would that fall in the gray area? Yes. And do I think that that's an example where billionaire barista would be committing trademark infringement and be forced to rebrand and possibly even, depending. On the circumstances owe oh, damages to the other business yes
0: you have to owe damages too possibly that's that's um how, did, if how you, do they
1: define that if they can prove that they people were actually confused by the brand that they lost business oh. because of this or perhaps wow. that you um diluted their brand that um you They have to prove their damages, but if they can prove that they were damaged by this, then you could potentially owe damages. I will say that um, by and large, the way that it goes most of the time is that you will receive a cease and desist letter where they want you to just stop. They want you to delete everything, completely change your name, um, and in most cases, though not all, that will be fine moving forward. But that alone would be a bad situation um, to be in.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, do you have to get service? So I once was building a software company and an app and my attorney said to put not the trademark, but the, um, service mark SM.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, so technically, um, your umbrella term is trademarks and then within trademarks, depending on whether you're selling a good or a service a good would still be called a trademark. And then technically a service would be called a service mark. Though in practice, they're both called trademarks. And um, many people rather than having an SM next to it, which would be technically the most accurate description, um, also sometimes have a TM when they're referring to services, uh, and both, both the TM and the SM for services, you're still giving proper notice.
0: Do you have to file paperwork for that SMS? Yeah, that,
1: yes. It's just a different way of describing. Yeah. Um, it's an SM service mark is a trademark, so they're both they're both trademarks. Um, it's just a matter of how you're describing it. Uh, the same. So um, let me take a step back. You have common law rights for all trademarks, whether they're service marks or they are trademarks for goods, and those are conferred to you based on using the name first in commerce. Now, to have a name registered, that's what really gives you legal tools in your toolbox. So it's not that it gives you the right, it's recognizing federally that you have superior rights. And through that federal recognition, you have a lot more tools in your toolbox. Whereas when you're just going off of your common law rights, depending on the situation, it can be like your hands are tied behind your back. Um, and certainly the situation we talked about, if someone else beats you to registering it, then you, it's an uphill battle on your end. Um, to prove that you have superior rights to the mark. It will be assumed that the federal trademark um, registrant has superior rights and you will have to rebut that, which is very expensive to do.
0: Yeah. Okay, so one more question. So, for example, if you have, say a name, I'm just gonna use my own, Carbon Three Inc. was the original name of the company right? And that's like the tax ID numbers tied to that. But we did a rebrand and we launched carbon three recruiting. We no longer go by the carbon three, Inc. it's all spelled out. And we have this new brand. It's still the same company, but it's just logo and brand website, the whole nine yards. Do we have to get two trademarks? So that's a great question. Um, so first of all, let me
1: distinguish between the difference of a, um, a registered business name and a trademark. You could have a registered business name that's kind of a behind the scenes it's not um you know public facing yeah. like something boring like like a
0: family or right. something um, like yeah. something
1: holdings company um and then yeah. you could have yeah. a brand name um like let's say uh dubsado or honeybook those client management systems that is a um trademark that's your public facing name um so it's really those public facing names that are your trademarks because you're using them as brand identifiers. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. And so you're, to answer your question, um, it depends. That's always the answer. That's what should, just keeps our profession <laughs> alive is that the answer is right, always it depends. Right. Um, so technically when you file a trademark application, the name that you're applying for has to match exactly the proof that you're submitting Um, as proof that you're using it in commerce. So sometimes I will have a client where we're preparing their trademark trademark application, and we go on their website, and we see that actually in the way they're using it, they've added an additional word somewhere. So recruiting is a good example. And so everywhere you find their mark, you have you see this word recruiting tacked on. And I can't find any examples where they're using the mark that they want to register without this word tacked on. And so I'll tell them, um, you need to either use the mark without recruiting, for example, somewhere. You can still use recruiting, but we need to be able to um, take a screenshot of an example where you're using this exactly as we're applying for it, or the mark that we need to apply for needs to have recruiting at the end. It has to match exactly. Mm -hmm. It's not that you can't also use different variations. You can have a whole portfolio of different trademarks, but somewhere we have to be able to show that you're using the mark exactly as we're applying for it.
0: Yeah. So you can't just like websites, for instance, you know, how everybody, uh, how uh, you go to find a website and it's taken and everything's taken. So people buy up all the website domains, right? So you can't buy up all the trademark. No, because you have to, show that, that you have to yeah. show that you're using it in commerce. You have to show that you're using it. I will it. say there's so a caveat how, to no.
1: what I just said in that the standard of trademark infringement is whether a consumer is likely to be confused. So let's say that you have a business name um, and someone else starts using the same business name and they tack on the word recruiting. It's easy in that instance, as long as your services or goods are the same, to make the argument, even though you've added on this additional word, they're still confusingly similar. So in, in essence, you can have overlapping protection to variations of your trademark. If you just had, Um, that word alone, you know, one word alone, trademarked, um, and you use it in varying ways, depending on how much you change it, you may still be able to use that argument of, you know, you can't use this, and you can't use my variations, because doing so would constitute, you know, trademark infringement, because they're confusingly similar. But it's a very case by case basis. So I wouldn't tell someone, oh, just you only need to trademark the root word, so to speak, and then you can add anything um, you know after that and you'll be protected. That's definitely not so because it's a matter of how distinctive is that other word? Um, are there other marks that have one or both of those terms? So it's very case by case.
0: So if the searchable system is terrible... Uh, how how do you find this? I out? have special software that I pay um,
1: an expensive monthly fee for that uses its <laughs> AI magic to search all currently registered trademarks and um, pending applications, and really getting at. Ah. you know, the nuances in that gray area. So they'll typically pull up um, a couple hundred results, maybe depending on the mark, and then we'll go through them manually looking at what are the services um, and then making a determination, you know, in, in my legal opinion, do I think this is going to be a conflict? So when I do a trademark search, ideally it's before a client is even using the name. um, But you know better late than never certainly because you want to know about that um, and we always do a search before doing a trademark application so you know what you're getting into and then generate a legal opinion later letter based on those results and that typically can go one of three ways the best news is i didn't find any conflicts and i think you are going to be successful in your trademark application the worst news would be particularly if you've already been using this name for a while. And it's even worse for product-based businesses that are like a physical product that may need to reprint labels and, and things like that. But the worst news would be, mm-hmm. um, I found you know an identical or nearly identical name um, in connection with identical or very related goods or services. And I think that you are Committing trademark infringement right now by using this because they've been using it before your stated first date state, first date of use, um, so that would be the worst news. And then we we do include a backup search because that can be a really devastating thing to come across. And rather than feeling like okay, how many times am I going to you know reperform a search before we have a name that we can move forward with? So that's kind of um, built into built into the fee is that situation where you might need to rebrand. And hopefully <laughs> that's not the mm-hmm. case. But then the middle right. of the road is this gray area where, okay, the names are not identical and the services are not identical. And it, usually those are even a bigger difference than the example I gave of billionaire barista. It's even um, you know a greater distinction, but there's still this chance that you could get a refusal. And then we're analyzing, uh, well, how likely is it that you'll be refused or be successful? Are you comfortable with taking that chance? So um, just going through basically um, your appetite for risk. And it also depends on how long you've been using the name in that situation. Also, if there's a conflict where we could tweak the name a little bit so it still maintains the spirit of the brand and the concept but we've changed it enough that now it's you know rising above that threshold and it's not going to be a conflict um then that's
0: also sometimes an option Mm, interesting okay so Do you work with companies all across the U.S.? I
1: do. So trademark law is a federal practice. Um, So I take clients internationally as long as they are registering their mark in the United States, um, which means they need to be doing business in the U.S. or they have an intent to do business in the U.S.
0: Okay. And you and I spoke about this earlier, but for the trademark, which I think is great, you'd charge a flat fee. I do. Yep. So that's um, all-inclusive.
1: It's your government filing fees, um, the trademark search that I mentioned, legal opinion letter, and then the application. And within the application process, um, sometimes you'll get a non-final refusal. Either they need additional information, more evidence of use, or you're getting a non-final refusal because the examining... Trademark attorney at the USPTO thinks that there's a conflict with your mark and another one, or there can be other refusals too. And so sometimes those require a written legal argument um, against their refusal, and that's all included. So it's anything that could come up um, is all included.
0: Gotcha. Now you, like I, we have started down this path um, before of like, okay, well. We'll fill out the paperwork and then get help submitting it, blah, blah, blah. But you were saying earlier, which I find interesting that I don't think people probably know, that you get like a two-time try and then you could be like cut off, right? So if you don't do it right the first time or the second time, um, I think my advice to people is just to have an attorney do it, but uh, tell us about that. You only get two right. tries. So
1: um, a, a good example of this, and it can be something where there was really no problem Um, with the mark, like the trademark should be registered. And a lot of times this comes up when people are submitting their evidence of using it in commerce. And the USPTO just has very specific requirements of how you need to show that you're using it in commerce um, and different parameters around, they call them specimens. And typically these are screenshots (laughs) or the specimens that you're filing. And so if if there's an issue with them, they'll give you um, a non-final refusal and say, you need to resubmit these and these guidelines, yada, yada. Um, then you can, so you have another chance. You can resubmit them properly, the kind of specimens that they want to see. And if they don't accept those, you'll get a non-final, a final refusal rather. And you have one more chance to submit it right. If you don't do it right again, and sometimes it's, It could be you, it could be that you're doing it wrong. It could be that the examining trademark attorney is just being like a very difficult human to deal with. And if you're refused Mm -hmm. that time, that's it. It's, it's final. Um, and then you can't just reapply for the same mark again. So sometimes if someone was refused their trademark application for just their name, so let's say it was just their business name, um, and the text, not their logo, not the logo design, but it was refused for whatever reason. It could be that, it could be some other reason, it could be um, because the name was quote unquote merely descriptive, so it wasn't distinct enough. So for example, Kaylee's Law Firm, that would be an example of something that's not trademarkable because it's just, um, it's describing the business, it's not distinct enough. Um, So Mm. sometimes a workaround for that can be applying for a logo design Instead, so you know, Kaylee's law firm, but in my unique logo, and I'm applying for the whole logo mark containing those words. So there are, you know, there are different workarounds um, for some things if you get a final refusal. Um, but I definitely work with a lot of clients who tried to do it themselves first or use LegalZoom. I. Do not recommend using LegalZoom. I think a lot of people are under the false impression that they are getting a legal service. But if you go to the bottom of LegalZoom's website, it says we are not a law firm and cannot provide legal advice. They're just simply a paperwork service. And they don't they don't give you, you know, any insight into whether your application is going to be successful or if you're even applying in the correct class. So there are different classes for different services and goods. Um, so, you know, my philosophy is if you if you're just paying someone to fill out your paperwork, you might as well do that yourself and save the fees from LegalZoom because you're going to have to input that information to them in some kind of intake form anyway, and they're not going to do right. you
0: any favors. So, right. yeah, right, right. Wow. So then from a, say from a startup or um, a small company standpoint of view, you say you do the trademark stuff and you get that filed, have any advice for any other legal documents or legal um, coverage that someone needs immediately, you know, like when starting, -starting, pre-starting, right after starting? So I would say,
1: you know, depending on, on what you're doing, certainly, um, before you start, if you are in, um, if you're, you know, building building out software, or you're building a product, and you're talking to different um, consultants, consider having an NDA in place. Um, so that's, you know, a, a non-disclosure mm-hmm. agreement, confidentiality agreement. Um, consider having that in place when you're having these conversations. Um, then when you launch your business, it really depends on what it is your business is. If you're providing any kind of service, you absolutely need to have a client service agreement in place. And ideally it should be tailored to your niche because you know a graphic design agency um, needs a completely different type of contract than a business strategist or a business coach. So make sure that it's tailored for your niche as much as possible. Um, and then if you have a website, which probably most of most of your listeners would, if they're starting a business, right. um, then you have to have your uh, your website policies in place. So there are different um, state and federal and even international laws that govern what type of disclosures that you need to make, and they seem to change somewhat frequently as well. So that's another thing: your privacy policy, terms of use, um, and we offer all of those in customizable templates. So they're customizable. And if there's a section where you could do it this way, or you could do it that way, based on your preference, or based on the needs of your business, we're explaining that. And we're explaining the distinction between the two options as you go through and customize it. So you kind of have, um, you know, that added guidance as you're customizing your templates.
0: Mm, That makes sense. Interesting. So from your standpoint and building your business and, um, making it what I call being able to offer yourself passive, um, transactions, right. So you don't have to be 24 seven on cause you have to either duplicate yourself or duplicate your service some way, yeah. somehow, right. In order to be the be all it all mom, wife, work, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, so what's next for you? Oh, that's a great question. Dad, yeah. So I, yeah. my business has, um, it seems to
1: change every year, except the year that I had a baby. I was just glad it survived that that year. Oh, this is my second <laughs> baby. I should say the year I had my second
0: baby. But, okay. Okay. And how old what's is that? the baby? How um, he's
1: the two. So I have a six year old girl yeah. and a two year old boy. And um, I decided to, I don't know, I guess I'm some kind of masochist, but I wanted both of them home with me at least the first year. And then both of them ended up um, staying home with me full time until they were 18 months old. So my son was born year, I'm losing track of time, year four of my business, maybe. And uh, so there was a lot going on even at that point, it wasn't, you know, there are challenges to starting a business and there are challenges to, um, running it, you know, at scale. And so, um, he was yeah. home with me for his first 18 months full time while she went to school three days a week. Um. And that was, yeah, that definitely presented its own challenges. But um, he was in charge of the patent department, which doesn't exist. And he didn't bring in any revenue that year. But I was just happy that we stayed at the same revenue as the year before. So that was a win.
0: (laughs) And I may have gotten off off of
1: your initial question there.
0: Yeah, no, 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 that was good, that was good. I was just you were just talking about basically it's the reality of the up and the downs and adapting and the webs and flows of having a business right, when you're right. a mom. Yeah. I mean I mean just in general we deal with the ups and flows, right? But when you're a mom and you're having babies. But oh, I was asking next? what was So, yeah, the next? Um, the yeah. most recent changes in my business have been both kids
1: this last August started school. So they're both in school. So I have, um, you know, I have three days, three and a half days, really a week where I'm just working. But, uh, another big change was my mother is actually also an attorney and she retired a few months ago and she retired and joined my business. So, uh, it's the first time that huh? I've had other team members, um, assistants an online business manager, but it's the first time that I've had another attorney on board. So that's been really helpful. And also, um, fun and some growing pains, but mostly just really great. And, you know, you never know how it's going to work out when you make your business. And especially it didn't start out a family business. It was my solo business that I have made into a family business just in the last couple of months. Um, but it's gone really well and I think it will continue to go well. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's great. Now, does your mom live close by or are you We are doing doing a virtual virtual family business? Yeah. So we
1: are actually, Uh, uh, my business is based in New Jersey. My husband works for the Air Force. So um, we've moved around a little bit, but we've been in St. Louis for a while now. So I am virtual. I work Uh remotely from St. Louis and um, the business is based in New Jersey and she is in New Jersey as well. So but, you know, it's it. Uh, it's very easy. It's almost just as easy to run it virtually with a partner uh, as it would. In fact, yeah, if we were yeah. in person, I think there would be a lot of opportunity for us to get off on tangents um, and, and not get as much done as we do this way. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. And hats off to you. Uh, I love my mother dearly, but I don't <laughs> think I could work with her. Uh <laughs> so that's great. I was, that's why I was asking virtual or in office. Cause I feel like, um, I mean, there are lots of family businesses, but when you start something and it's your baby and then someone comes in like, and grandmothers play a special role in the family. Right. And there, there's just a whole lot of dynamics going on there. If you're in yeah, office. Yeah. Right? And, you know,
1: we have an interesting dynamic because there's, you know, it's been my business alone for six years. Um, and it still is my business, but it still is my business alone. But um, it's a, you know, a different dynamic having another attorney on the team than another team member, especially one being family. Um, but she also has been practicing law for 30 years. So it's not like I'm training right. her up so on she knows much this, you know. So it's a right. different, it's like, a right. yeah, it's a different dynamic. What kind of law did she, she do? Um, also practiced business law, mostly employment law. Though she was um, in-house counsel uh, for um, ADP, the data processing, the payroll company. Uh, so she yeah, ran yeah. ADP's
0: yeah. Um, global ethics department for n- many years. Ah, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, how exciting! That's super exciting. So um, I think it's great, and I feel like there's so many coaching businesses out there today that like so much opportunity for you I guess in that perspective right and then trademarks people are starting businesses all yep. day long and I know of like three I need to do <laughs> myself <laughs> or four Yep, that's Oops. a field that's always so I'll be calling right 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 well and it doesn't sound like if if somebody were ha- challenged it Within that thirty window, thirty day window, and they had the money and the backing, and they wanted to, like, really put up a fight. It's not like you're in. I wouldn't assume you're in, uh, court all the time. It's or, all, you know, um, like at that this- level,
1: it's also all e filings. So that's another reason. Uh, yeah. Besides yeah. that, my, you know, most of my background in law school um, was in intellectual property law, um, but a really nice benefit to this field in the kind of lifestyle that we wanted is not only is it a federal practice so I can take clients um, nationwide and globally, but also it's completely online and transactional. You could have a trademark infringement lawsuit that was filed in court, um, but a lot of what goes through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and filing those petitions, uh, we talked about a petition to oppose um, there are also petitions to cancel a mark that's all already been registered for similar reasons. Also, oh, really? extremely expensive okay. and um, time-consuming process. But both of those are all e um, filings.
0: See, that's nice, though, yeah. right? So it does give you the freedom. So, are you moving to Thailand? That's in a great condition? question. Yes, you know, it's or my or back to China.
1: It's my husband <laughs> that is uh, tying us down now. But yes, that would be. Um, <laughs> That would be the goal is to have um, to actually move to Pennsylvania. The dream, the dream is to move to Pennsylvania, have like 50 acres kind of like tucked away in the woods, um, but with driving time to Starbucks Mm -hmm. and then spend like two months out of the year (laughs) living in Chiang Mai, Thailand.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Well, I have no doubt if your husband's career allows it, you will get there. Right, yeah. So Thailand's your favorite? It is.
1: It is. I've been um, many different places, but Thailand is my favorite. South Africa is beautiful. There's, you know, there's a lot. There are a lot of. There's a lot going on uh, politically and economically in South Africa mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. But it is a, probably one of the most beautiful places I've been to. But um, I definitely enjoy living in Thailand the most.
0: I think you're fortunate because you still have, like you didn't, a lot of these founders do a complete pivot, right? Like they're on one path and they come up with an idea and they have to learn a completely new industry. So I think it's awesome to see, utilize what mm. you've learned, you know, throughout your career and you're taking your career and launching it off. So that's super cool. And good luck with the <laughs> <Thank> mom <you. laughs> yeah. uh, joining. That's awesome. That, uh, lots of growth. I mean, I'm sure she knows lots of people too, and just expanding your business and network. And also, I would think it would feel good to have somebody that you trust 100% whenever you need to yes. step away from the business and you know it's yes, going to be taken care of. that's something that I was just um,
1: discussing actually on a coaching call that I got off of before we were recording this podcast is, uh, yeah, the trust is that the, the trust not only um, in integrity, but also work ethic. You know, I think, oh, I don't know what oh. your experience has been, but you know, like different generations have different work ethics on average oh. there. Mm-hmm. And, and she's, yes. she has an excellent work ethic, wonderful <laughs> integrity. And just like when you leave your yes. children to be, um, you know, cared for by family, you know, that they, that's their family too. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not a babysitter. Mm -hmm. Like they Mm -hmm. have an ownership essentially, you know, like in your, in your children. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's the same way in this relationship too.
0: Yeah. You just brought up a good topic, which uh, would probably take us hours to talk about. So that's another conversation for another day, but at what point is work ethic Mm -hmm. taught? Like can an employer teach it? But I feel like, especially solopreneurs like ourselves, we're just trying to teach the business and you know, like what needs to be done. But I guess, assumingly, if they're, you open, know, I think that, I, don't, um, like, it, I, don't know.
1: I think it depends on many different factors, but. Um, I, this is my personal opinion, especially as a small business, if you are a small business and your investment into your team is probably your largest expense, um, there's a training, I think training in how to do a task training in systems and things like that are understandable and you're making an investment into the person, but training character is, um, a, you know, It's not going to happen. I don't think you can train character. And to the extent that you can, you know, if you're in a bigger corporation where there's like performance evaluations, um, I mean, in that way, can you move people, you know, closer to complying with how you would like them to act? Probably. Uh, I don't think that that's how I want to spend my team investment as a business owner. Right. Yeah. I I think... (laughs) It, uh, work right. ethic, I think, um, comes down to integrity too, especially if you have clear deliverables. So if you're back to contracts, if your scope of service you know, with a contractor right. is very clear, so you can essentially measure um, objectively whether the work is being done or not. Um, and if it's not and you right haven't had a, you know, there's no good explanation necessarily, like the person was just sick. Okay, we're all humans, you know, leaving room for that. But if it seems to be coming back to a work ethic problem, um, then I think that's an integrity problem. And I don't have patience for integrity problems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't either. I don't either. But um, I feel like, you know, somewhere along the lines we were either taught it or they weren't and um seems to be there's a generation i i shouldn't lump them all in the same but there are some certain gaps but that's some what we're supposed to do i mean we're very we're both course.
1: obviously very young Brooke. but that's also part of what we're supposed to do with each <laughs> passing year is we're supposed to look at the the generation you know behind us and be like you guys just aren't you're just not, you know, pulling your weight. That's the tale as old as time. Right. (laughs) And then
0: somehow they'll figure it out. I know. I know. Right. They will figure it out. They will figure it out, but you and I don't have to (laughs) suffer the pain. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. No, I mean, I would love to help people and like, that'd be great to have that big of an impact, but uh, I just, you can't teach character and you can't Mm -hmm. teach burn in the belly. Like, character comes in time and it comes with, I think, um, going through life and experiencing things and going through whatever, right. Hard troubles, et cetera. But like the burn in the belly, like wanting something, you, you cannot teach it. It's either right. in it, in you, or you just haven't found what makes your stomach burn, right? Like what gives you that passion, those things can't, and, but you can teach people how to get there. If they want to put in the work. But I don't know. But like you said, we have enough going on we just don't have the time to do that. And there isn't room to do that, right? And hiring for uh, but they've got yeah, to hiring for
1: the qualities of in my book, I think the top ones are there's some crossover, but dependability integrity and the self starter. Sometimes you can't discern whether someone has those traits in an, in the interview process, because you just can't until you get going. Um, but I think, you know, this and the self starter is one of the rarest qualities. And when you find a self starter with integrity, treat that person well and pay them well and hold on to them.
0: Right. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we could talk about this for days. Like, I love all that stuff. But um, I'm respectful of your time, so thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we wish you the best. What? By the way, before we go, one last thing. Where can people find you? Where can they access all of your uh, services? Get a hold of you? And yeah, so the best contracts. place would be um, coming over to my Instagram. Is at
1: Kaylee Giacome. And there we have a a link um, where you can find a link to download our 2023 business legal checklist, um, book a complimentary consultation with me, check out the contract templates and all that good stuff.
0: Awesome. Perfect. So we'll put your uh, link to your uh, Instagram uh, below and uh, include some information. So check them out. If you're a startup thinking about it, don't have a trademark on your logo, your name, any of that stuff, you need to contact Kaylee. And if you have any businesses need a website, the legal components of your website, policies, terms, conditions, she is your girl. So uh, thank you again. And we wish you the best. We'll check in. Perfect. Thank you so much, Brooke. Thank you for having me. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe to our channel, The Wild Feather, If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, you can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, the wildfeatherpodcast.com, and find some valuable information and resources there. No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings.